0: It's time to lead the people, the show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsell. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest is the CEO of Taylor Insurance Services and the Managing Director of Trinity Blue. His experience derives from fields as diverse as technology, venture capital, and commercial real estate. He's a keynote speaker and the author of the book, A CEO Only Does Three Things. He is Trey Taylor. Welcome to the show, Trey. Matt, thanks so much for having me. Now, I mentioned at the top your book, A CEO Only Does Three Things, and I know that you recently decided to write that. That was your first book. So I wanted to ask you just to get us started, what motivated you to take on that project?
1: Yeah, it was a long time in the making. I think first time authors have these books that they sit on for 15 or 20 years. But, you know, the prime motivation for me in writing the book, it was an internal project initially for me because I took over my business uh, in a, in an unplanned manner. We lost my father, who was the CEO of the business before I was. I was not in the business, so I had to come into it uh, as green as you could. And what I found was there was no sort of... Uh, job description for a ceo there was no manual on how to be a ceo and so i began writing that and just keeping notes to hand to my successor and then as i got into some consult management consulting in my industry i noticed that no one really knew what to do when they first got on the job and so we started to do the latest and the loudest thing and uh which sometimes is necessary we need to you know those things need to be done but uh, I felt like my focus level was always one level off, and I wanted to sort of have a book that would remind me, that would teach my successor and other people, here's where your focus level should be when you're working in C-suite style operations. And so uh, that book launched in November of last year. It's done done surprisingly well to me, and uh, we just actually launched the audiobook uh, which is now available on Audible. So I'm very excited about that. And and we've sold hundreds of audiobooks without any promo on it. So I'm really thrilled about that.
0: Wow. Well I'm really sorry to hear about your dad and the circumstances, but I'm just so impressed that you took the opportunity to not only just go through and make note of your lessons, but you you wrote with the door open as Stephen King would say and and shared it with your your observations with the world. I, I find that really admirable. Well, I appreciate that. And you know, going
1: into pandemic last year, I kind of began to realize in in April that hey, I think we're going to be locked in the house for a long time, and I better find something to do. And I said, I've been sitting on this for a long time. Let me really bear down on it and see if there's something there. I had a wonderful publisher to work with, uh, who really helped me take it from an idea to an actual uh, thing on the shelf. And I can't uh, I can't imagine having done that without some good help to do that.
0: Very cool. Well, let's shift our attention to some of those ideas. I know that in your work you talk about three mindsets that define people. I wonder if you could tell us what are those mindsets and then how do they show up in our work? And and on this show in particular, we'd like to talk about leadership.
1: Yeah. So um, the the key format for me when I'm coaching leaders and executives is to uh, understand that you can't manage someone until you manage yourself and you can't manage yourself until you understand yourself. And it is my belief that we're created in three different dimensions and you can call them mindsets but it's an awareness levels in three different ways and those three dimensions are sort of the intellectual dimension the emotional dimension and what i call the sort of identity dimension i colloquially you would say the i think the i feel and the i am dimension and so you have to understand how do you intellectually respond to challenges? How do you emotionally respond to challenges? And where do those two things come from? They come from an identity that you hold on on how you respond to challenges. Well, if you can understand that about yourself, it's not a leap to say that also is happening in the minds and the and the uh, in the souls and the hearts of your people. And so if we begin to understand each other on a much deeper level that everything I do in life is because of how I see myself then I can begin working with you and saying, hey, Matt, what if you saw yourself differently? Would that produce different thoughts? Would it produce different emotions? And that's the way that we really get into whole person management. So as as far as that goes, those are the three core mindsets that I like people to be aware of. As a CEO, I want you to be aware of three different sort of horizontal mindsets. And those are What should you be focusing on? A CEO only does three things. What are those three things people ask me? And I say, hey, buy the book and then you'll find out. But for you and your listeners, I'll tell you today, culture, people, and numbers. Right? So what I'm saying there is not that a CEO really only has three things on a to-do list and he gets to go home when those are done. Rather, what I'm saying is it's the CEO's job to set the agenda around the culture, around the people Uh, process of hiring and keeping people on board and around what numbers we will look at to see are we doing the jobs that we're supposed to do. Once I've set the agenda and checked in on that every single day before I've done anything else, before I open my inbox, before I do anything else, then I can begin to work on the open-ended to-do list, which is a CEO's real life, uh, that sort of thing. As long as I'm delegating things properly, I'm going to have a much better uh, existence as a CEO. I'm going to fight my burnout impulses a lot better.
0: Gotcha. And I'd like to say that you know, all leaders are on a journey because while we're evolving, the conditions around us are evolving. Let's take a look at the first one of your three mindset and dimensions first. And, and I have the question of if they're linear. So as an example, like as you were relating those, I kind of saw almost like errors of my own leadership. And I don't know that everyone has the same experience. So, I, I really tried to bring an intellectualism and trying to figure out the book knowledge when I first got started as a manager. And it made me a pretty, pretty lousy manager, to be honest with you. I was Absolutely. good at part of it, but not the middle part, which I needed to learn next, which was really all about you know trying to get in touch with my own emotions and and find that that a more full sense of myself. And I would say that only recently, Despite my advanced age and these gray whiskers of mine, that I've started to get comfortable with the identity and really start asking first, like, how does this resonate with who I'm all about? Is my journey through the stages in, in more of a linear fashion, is that a, a coincidence or is that something you see relatively often?
1: No, I see it all the time, often. And, uh, and I'm, a, I'm a great offender. You know, I'm a good teacher of it because I'm a great offender of it. And the analogy that I love to use is I have a, a son, he's 11 years old. When we brought him home from the hospital the first night, he slept right through the night. We thought we were the greatest parents in the world. The next night, and I had read every parenting book I could get my hands on in the previous nine months, right? I really had this nailed uh, because obviously it was just a problem to apply your mind to. The second night, he was bathed, he was changed, he was warm, and he was fed when we put him to bed, and he didn't sleep. And I remember sort of, you know, asking him, like, look, I've done all the three or four things the book said I was supposed to do. You're not holding up your end of this bargain, right? And what was really going on there was not an intellectual thing. It was not an emotional thing because my emotions were panic and his emotions were discomfort and and sadness and all of the things that he was going through. It was an identity-based thing right there. And I had to salve him at his identity to make him feel a certain way in order For him to go to sleep that night. Well, not that I like to relate uh, employees to children. I don't mean to make that uh, quite so, quite so basic or linear there. But uh, people have needs at those same levels. So I can tell you, uh, Matt, you are wrong about an opinion that you hold. And intellectually, I can out argue you on that. You're probably not going to change your mind. I can potentially guilt trip you and and fool your emotions on that. And maybe I can get you to change your mind a little bit on that. But if I show you where it is intellectually and emotionally consistent with the beliefs that you hold as to who you are then you will change your behaviors without having to change your mind Mm. and that's the way that i think people should approach things do we no because we don't know that model
0: yeah and it sounds like especially when you move from your own self-awareness and going through those three domains and now you, you kind of flipped it on me and said, okay, now you also have to do that with your people. Now I'm like, oh, okay. I know a lot of leaders who really kind of skim along the surface at that intellectual level, but don't engage with their people as emotionally or certainly from an identity. They don't necessarily know them and what they're all about and, and why they come to work every day. So that makes it harder to lead people, if if even possible, fully to That's lead right. them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We just had a, a situation personnel issue in our office where a long-term Uh, employee came and said, Hey, I'm entertaining an offer from someone else. And I feel like it's the right thing to do to tell you to do that, uh, that I'm doing that. Uh, She came back after that interview and she said, uh, those people don't get me. Mm -hmm. What she was saying without knowing the vernacular was intellectually, they're probably going to pay her more money. They may give her a better title and she'd have a, you know, it's the great resignation right now. So we're doing, we're all doing what we can do to attract people. But what she was really saying is from an I am level, from that identity level, uh, they don't understand what makes me tick in the way that this organization does because you have made a concerted study of who I am, what's important to me, the things that I really love to do, and the things that I don't see consistent with uh, being who I am. And uh, and so we we have kept that employee at least uh, for now, and you know maybe yeah. we we continue to do so. We hope.
0: It's a powerful retention mechanism and a growth mechanism, too. I think a lot of times when we're acting in a coaching role as leaders, if somebody starts to uh, flap a little bit on their action plan and you can show them and hold up that mirror to say, this was the identity of what you're trying to attain, there's that much more sort of ability to go back to and say, you know what, you're right. I'm going to find a way through this as opposed to just treating it intellectually. Well, have you thought about, you know, that's not going to get it done?
1: No, it's root cause analysis. You know, we do that in manufacturing with cars, if we have a defect or anything like that. But we don't do that as coaches uh, for ourselves or for our people largely. And so it's a little bit of a psychological uh, a deep dive. And it can be playing with fire, as I say in the book, like make make damn sure that you're doing a good job with a good heart before you start touching these powerful currents, because you can do a lot of damage that way as well.
0: That makes sense. And let's turn our attention to the second one. So now we've got culture, we've got people in numbers. Is there an order of attack there? Or is there a prescribed way? Or do we just say, look, at some point, you got to get to these three things?
1: Yeah, those three things are so overlapping uh, that they're hard to break apart. Uh, We do have exercises for each of those verticals. And so largely, when we do it, when we have a client, we do an intake session and figure out, you know, what's keeping you up? Is it the fact that you have a revolving door for employees? Is it the fact that you, you, know, you, you, you can't hire the right people? Is it the fact that, uh, you know, that the people that you hire don't produce the numbers that you need or whatever? Largely though, we always find, 95% of the time, we find that there's a culture issue. And every organization has a culture. Whether you intend to have one or not, it emerges regardless. Uh, Any organization, you know, any combination of people will eventually establish a, a way of working together and that way of working together is the culture. So what we try to do is to tease out the best parts of the culture and to identify the bad parts of the culture, work on the good parts with the hope that we're cleaning it up enough that the bad parts go away. Largely, the bad parts come from an outgrowth of having the wrong people doing the wrong tasks. And so if we can solve those in doing some people consulting, that's great as well. Uh, and then what we figure out is if we fix the culture, we get the right people in the door, then the numbers are proof that the first two things are in alignment.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And then, so you mentioned that, so we've got the three things, but we also have realistically an, an open to-do list. And, and you mentioned delegation is kind of key to the survival and success of, of any CEO uh, and I would argue certainly any leader who's kind of looking to reach that next level. Why is delegation, I hear it all the time that it's a challenge, people either feel like they're not being delegated to properly, or some complain about that they can't delegate or they just don't. Why is delegation such a challenge for some CEOs and leaders? And And what happens when we do it badly?
1: Yeah, I mean, we see way more of uh, the management sin of bad delegation than we see, uh, you know, the management sin of no dele- I mean, of uh, too much delegation, don't we? Uh, and and people love to intellectualize on it. Patton has a great quote that you should hire the best people and let them do what they're supposed to do and take your hands off of it and that sort of thing. But putting that into practice is a very troublesome thing. It comes from lack of confidence. It comes from um, the lack of confidence that I have selected the right people that they are uh, capable of doing what I'm telling them to do and that the results that they produce must stand on their own and they don't have to be the same results that I would produce. And that is quite a mental journey for somebody to go through. Now, we very much focus on that with my clients, uh, that we want them as coaching clients to come in and, and really understand the fact that the burnout that they are feeling, is a direct result of the unwillingness to let go of both ends of the stick. you know. So that when someone isn't achieving what they should achieve and they come back and ask you for help, that giving that help sometimes is a violation of delegation as well, and that you can take that on as a mental burden. And that makes your job less enjoyable. And the more that you violate that, you see that there's this whole process. And so um, um, that's what we really work on with uh, CEOs is to say, if you've got the right team, you should be able to delegate to them. Simple exercise. Uh, I have CEOs uh, practice this, uh, that three times, if someone brings something to you, you, you say, and Matt, you'll have heard this, and you probably use it yourself. What do you think should be done with this problem? And then the CEO is required to shut up. And unless the answer is 180 degrees off of what is correct, you know, unless that answer is going to put the business in the ditch or cause somebody some physical or emotional harm, they have to agree that that's the right answer to be done. And the magic that happens after that, the CEO realizes that, wow, if my people get to do you know, what they think is right, nine times out of ten, they're going to do exactly what I was going to tell them anyway, even higher than that sometimes. And so the joke becomes, Hey, what do you need me for? You've got the right answer. Go and do it. And then I don't have to worry about that or I don't have to do the last 15 or 20% of a task anymore because my team is starting to feel empowered uh, to do things and bring me the final result.
0: Yeah, I talk to a lot of leaders and, and I ask them about their team members and they say, oh, I love my team. They say, well, then why are you not giving them your, your work? <laughs> you're overwhelmed. How do you, how would you say that you love them if you don't giving them your work? You're not delegating it. So what, what kind of advice did you have for a, a CEO who's in that sort of position where they don't maybe it quite hasn't clicked for them yet, right?
1: I, I think the mental bridge here, and this is a tough one to get over, is your team is not an extension of yourself. Your team is an extension of the mission of the company. That is a huge mental gateway to walk through. And there is a lot of ego involved with me saying I hired this person and grew them up over 10 years, and they're they're a mini-me, they're the best in the world, and that sort of thing. But once you turn them loose to do what you think uh, they think should be done, they may not do exactly step by step what you would have done. And you almost think that that's a reflection. Again, to go back to that idea that, you know, what my kid does in public is a reflection on me or something. It can be the same thing for for employees. The key is, though, because my mission is to combat executive burnout. You can't have both. You just have to choose which one you want to have. If you want to overmanage people. And, and take as the cost of doing that, burnout and lack of joy in your life, you may make that decision. You're fired as a client of mine, but you can make that decision to do that. If however, you wanna grow the business, grow your people and feel a lot more joy come into your life, delegation is the first thing. There's m- many more things. Delegation is the first thing that you have to get good at.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I talk to some leaders sometimes and they'll say, well, I, you know, my people just won't accept accountability. And a lot of times I'm asking, well, what's the last major decision you gave and allowed them to make on their own? And you're like, oh, that hasn't happened. You're like, it's well, never happened in this business. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: And you're yeah. like, well, wait, I'm confused by that. Yeah. I'm fond of saying, uh, look, you know, if you can't delegate to someone, you either have the wrong heart or the wrong team. And one of those has to change. Mm, powerful.
0: Yeah, I like that. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of doesn't leave you anywhere. There's no wiggle room in that. Response. There's no wiggle, that room, frame, there. yeah. there's no wiggle yeah. room.
1: That's where the accountability comes in because the CEO really does have to understand that, uh, you know, if they got hit by a bus tomorrow, the team is going to do something. So why not not get hit by a bus and let the team do the work today?
0: Yeah. I think we put so much energy into the hiring process. We want to make sure we get good high quality people and, you know, we we desperately want to retain them and we want them to do well. But I think when it comes to, you know the egoless part of of leadership and and developing them and and delegating and giving, holding them accountable, things tend to get a little bit lost in, in some just the busyness of the business I like to call it, and there's just so many things. It's just faster if I do it myself. Or there's there's a litany of excuses that that leaders that you know that we give ourselves as to why we're not doing it. But I, I think that you're you're giving us great examples about how there is a better way. It's all arrogance though, Matt. Yeah. Right.
1: it's easier if I do it myself, is it really? The arrogance of that statement is that I'm gonna be here forever to do it myself every time, or that I'm smarter than the team that I put around me, or that my team isn't as hardworking or as dedicated as I am. It's all based in ego and arrogance. And we have to to get past that. the, The 13th century Sufi poet Rumi has this wonderful poem where he says, there is a field out past what we consider fault and blame. If we want to get something done, let's meet there. Mm. I love that poem.
0: That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, it, it is so true, and I think that it's a it's the perspective and the coaching perspective that you're bringing to your clients and you brought to us today is is so critical because it's a, a lot of times I don't I don't rarely I rarely talk to leaders. Who are like, oh no, I get it. I'm being completely arrogant. (laughs) It's just, it's a (laughs) right. It's just the blockage. It's just you don't see it. And but once you see it, and you put them in that framing like we like you just shared, something has to change. It's one or the other. And you're like, oh, now I see it. And it's just like, wow.
1: I love encountering leaders at the point where they are becoming aware of their burnout, where the joy has left the the fact that they get to do business, where they don't want to go talk to a new client because that new client's going to mean a lot of work for them. You know, that sort of thing, because then I can go five whys on them. I can say, why is that the case? And they give me an answer. And why is that the case? And we can really start to do root cause analysis of the psychological factors that are involved and begin teasing them out. And look, sometimes people say, I don't care the answer on this. This is not something I will ever give up out of my hands. If that is a known quantity, then we have to build a staff, a business, a psychological response whatever it happens to be around that core assumption but at least now we've got it stated and articulated and shared amongst people so that they know that that's the case
0: i love it well i've learned a ton in our short time today and uh, i think i saw a quote it said that uh, grant cardone had referred to you as uh, the smartest guy in the room and i will tell you i can i can understand why and i channeled I into that, that. <laughs> trey i channeled into that because uh, i like to write a fun game segment for all my guests and and so you, you've certainly heard of uh, Street Smarts. I call this one Wall Street Smarts. I found some <laughs> random ass list of 30 greatest living geniuses in business. So we're looking for names. Can you give me a, a name? Let's, let's see if we get maybe three different folks who might show up on this list. These are living geniuses in, in the business world.
1: Uh, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk,
0: Larry yeah. Ellison, um, uh, Bill you Gates know, would that- make the list. Gates did make the list at twenty-eight. Ellison did not, surprisingly. Oh, really? I'm surprised. Yeah, Elon Musk by that, showed up in we're... twenty-two. Okay, yep. I think we're
1: living in a in a very Ellison-informed world, and he doesn't get yeah. a lot of credit for that. So that's kind of interesting to me.
0: It is kind of interesting, and and I don't know who put this list together. Uh, Buffett, number three. So yes, definitely widely recognized. Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah and is Munger on the list? Munger's not on the list. I guess they assume that they're kind of joined at the hip, I suppose. But uh, yeah,
1: I guess that makes sense. They have two different peculiar geniuses. Ah, uh, together. Munger is my absolute hero. Love uh, Buffett, but I I love Munger. He's he's the guy that I go to for so much of my uh, mental model work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. A couple uh, of surprising names. Uh, number one, Andy Grove from Intel. So it's, you know, and, this and is I, a dated list. It's a bit. I was thinking it was a dated <laughs> list, but at the same time, there's some relatively new people in here like Sarah Blakely. She just sold a yeah. uh, uh, controlling interest in Spanx for for she did really well, and she's uh, a genius in her own right. She but uh, Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting to see it. And, and, and number 30 at the far end, uh, Oprah Winfrey, of course. Yeah, of and, course, uh, uh,
1: Oprah deserves to be higher on the list than that. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. That's what I was thinking. The same thing, Zuckerberg at, uh, at six, you know, just to yeah. round out some of the top. Uh, Larry Page at two from Google. I can understand yeah, of some of them, but it's kind of funny, you know, what goes into people have tremendous amounts of success. And then the question is, is it genius? Is it, you know, what is it? Not to say it's not deserved, but I think there's lots of things and probably a lot more than that. I'll give you my favorite name from the list. Uh, Gila Liberté, who is the head of uh, Cirque du Soleil.
1: Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, yeah. of course, that, that that's a great one. That one really qualifies. Uh, I love I the one. idea that somebody walks into a business that is dead and in the rearview mirror and says, wait a minute, you've yeah. missed it. Here's what it should look like. And, you know, we'll pay a fortune to sit and watch people do crazy things. Oh, which yeah. is not super different from what they did before, I guess. But it's just that sort of repackaging, remarketing and the and the thought and the genius that goes into it. Great, great addition yeah. to the list.
0: Step right yeah. into the essence of it. So, well, I've only got one more question for you, which is where can my listeners, Trey, go to learn more about you? Yeah, a couple of places. Obviously, the book is on uh, Amazon and,
1: uh, as we mentioned, on Audible now. So I'd appreciate uh, anybody checking those out. Uh, uh the book has a website that you can get some more information on it's CEO only does 3 thingscom uh i write a uh, uh an occasional newsletter which means anytime i feel like it uh, you can find that it's called the plant your flag uh newsletter it's a substack uh email it's free of course and that's at plantyourflag.live and then uh my consulting company trinity-blue.com and then as a catch all tray-taylor.com
0: Perfect. I will include those links in the show notes, the episode description. So listeners, you're only one click away from finding more out about Trey. Trey, I can't thank you enough for being with me on the show today.
1: Matt, enjoyed it a lot. Great to speak with you. Thanks so much.
0: Here are my fully focused top three takeaways from today's episode. One, leaders live in 3D. Trey has a view that leaders are comprised of intellectual, emotional, and identity dimensions. The three are highly connected, and it's key to understand these both in ourselves and in our people. Two, the essentials are key. Three things matter most for a CEO, culture, people, and the numbers. Ensure that these are solid before you move on to other matters. Three, learn to delegate. Your ability to scale your business and to experience real joy in your life relies on your ability to delegate effectively. Make it a point to get good at giving your work and accountability to your team. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability. And thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. I love the
1: idea that somebody walks into a business that is dead and in the rearview mirror and says, wait a minute, you've missed it. Here's what it should look like.